listening to The Clam Bake, a KBGA podcast with your host, Madeline Broom. Thanks for tuning in to KBGA Missoula 89.9. My name is Madeline Broom and I'm the host of the KBGA podcast, The Clam Bake. Join us here every week by tuning in Saturdays at 2 p.m. on KBGA 89.9 FM or find the podcast online at kbga.org or by going to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This week, I sat down virtually with Maggie Bornstein, my friend and the director of the Women's Resource Center at the University of Montana. This year, they're celebrating 50 years of advocating for and supporting women in Montana. So Maggie, do you wanna um, introduce yourself? Sure, yeah, my name is Maggie Bornstein. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a student at the university. Um, I study African-American studies, women's gender and sexuality studies um, and sociology, and I'm completing a certificate in global migration studies. Um, And I am the student director of the Women's Resource Center. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're here to talk um, about the Women's Resource Center, although it sounds like you do (laughs) uh, lots of other stuff. Um, Kind of broadly, could you just describe um, the WRC and um, what y'all are doing there? Um, The Women's Resource Center was founded by a bunch of very powerful women on our campus who were involved in the founding of the Gender Studies Program, namely Diane Sands, um, who many of you may know from her excellent work in the state legislature in advancing the rights of women, indigenous people, etc. But presently, we exist in the branch center at University Center 210 and we maintain a physical office with drop-in office hours. Things are a little different with coronavirus so we're also available to meet with folks via Zoom Um, and what we do is essentially provide referrals and minimal emotional support and direction um, for those who are maybe experiencing some adversity or marginalization in their college experience and further we create dynamic and supportive programming for all of those who just are looking for community building in their college experience. And additionally, we also have the largest feminist library in Montana in our office. And so we also serve as like a functional library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you say feminist library, um, what do you mean by that and why might someone specifically seek out, um, you know, the library that you um, provide versus, you know, just going to like the public library or, uh, you know, the university? For sure. Um, there are a couple of different reasons why it is a feminist library. Uh, the largest reason being that almost every single work there centers the experiences of women. Um, whether that be critical gender theory to um, literature surrounding the experiences of women throughout history. Um, You can pick up any book there essentially and know that it is oriented towards women um, or the advancement of women, the experiences of women, etc. And the really cool thing about the Women's Resource Center is that we're one of the only student-funded and student-run women's resource centers in the country, so we have a lot of autonomy. So I would like to assert that probably a lot of the works that we have had in our office historically have not been available 
um, in places like public libraries um, for a lot of different reasons, largely patriarchal structures that don't necessarily value the experiences or um, intellectual conversations around women. You talk a lot about, um, nope, I'm gonna restart that. Um, you mentioned um, some of the program programming that the WRC does. I know you just had kind of one of your um, kickoff meetings, um, you might say in the last um, week, you know, the semester is kind of, well, I guess it's already a third done, but you know, with being remote, it does kind of still feel like we're in that, like getting our footing again stage of school <laughs> um so like what kind of plans do you have um for this year and are there any projects you know that you're looking at focusing on with the wrc for sure it is so interesting with coronavirus this is my second year in this role and i felt like just as i was like i'm figuring out how to run a women's resource center coronavirus happened and it was like just kidding no you don't um and then last year i had a co-director and so this year it is myself and then we presently have two wonderful interns um, who are also on this journey with myself and trying to reimagine what our semester will look like. Um, it's hard. You can have lots of folks be like, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there. But then they become a close contact of the coronavirus, they may contract coronavirus, and then it's very quickly for an event to sort of relapse into its earliest like small imaginative stage of what it could have been. Um, and so that has shifted to what are long game projects that we can do. Um, and so presently a project that, well, there are a few different things. A pr presently a project that I am working on um, in collaboration with other groups in the branch center is the building of a dress for success program. Um, there are so many folks who face barriers to employment just initially based on interview because of a lack of business or business casual clothing. And that's a that's something that will take a lot of time and energy to build up to the point that we can have a feasible like library of clothes for folks to use and borrow. Um, and then our interns are doing some really wonderful things that are very coronavirus safe and again, long game projects. So one of our interns, Mia, is working um, to create a podcast with women and non-binary individuals in Missoula and the greater Missoula area. And then our other wonderful intern, Muriel, is working on a website for sexual assault um, resources in the community because there are lots of them. And that's one of the largest questions that we get um, in our office and our emails. Um, but there's not just like a super centralized place for me to direct folks to. And then there's also a lot of shifting. For example, a group that, a six week group that meets in October might meet an entirely different time and day later in the year. And so there's just like lots of shifting things happening in our community and not a lot of like pulse on updating that for folks. Um, and that I think can be extremely discouraging, especially for survivors who, um, are just like looking for support. Um, and then some other things that we have going on today, there have been some, I guess, shifts in terms of face-to-face -face meetings with programming, um, ASUM events, etc. cetera. Um, and so that'll sort of change some things potentially for us. It might become remote, but we are planning or we're planning 
um, to hold like a historical women's tour of UM in which um, we'll like visit, it'll be like a typical campus tour, but not really, we'll visit spots um, and talk about the impact women have had on such places on campus. Um, and that's super exciting. We're planning a virtual alumni and friends meetup. Um, we are hoping to do something for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Previously, we have done Light Up the Night. There are issues though of security and vulnerability in terms of an online platform of potential like screen recording or sharing of things without folks permission, which we have a little bit more control of in person. Um, and so that's, that's like weighing on us heavily for sure in terms of programming. And so um, that is where we're at. And then also hopefully, hopefully collaborating with other groups. I know that we have something in the works um, with the Climate Response Club um, that will likely be held via Zoom and that'll be a mindset session. But will that happen this semester, next semester? I don't know. Um, we've had so many cool ideas, but um, just like modifying them for coronavirus has been a huge challenge. Mm -hmm. Have you found that um, connecting to resources is a little bit, or like connecting people to resources is a little bit more difficult um, in the pandemic? Because I know um, I've been finding that it's just a lot harder to get in touch with people. Um, it's a lot harder to, I mean, it seems like emails are less likely to be answered and calls less likely to be returned. And I think that's just because, you know, on top of dealing with whatever we were dealing with, um, you know, six or seven months ago, we're all putting a pandemic and everything that comes with that on it. Um, but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, people don't need services, you know, and, and resources in town and, and sometimes, need it more so than you know before yeah what i'm hearing is that folks feel extremely isolated and alone and there are a lot of right, really huge logistical issues that are at hand with coronavirus um if somebody has a question about when sark is holding their like survivor support groups normally i would just walk on over and that's not something that I really feel comfortable doing right now and I wouldn't want to violate somebody else's like COVID safety bubble, um, even with a mask. And it's hard. There are a lot of things I think that folks may not recognize that are just, they have to be this way with coronavirus, but things like support groups, I think are way more inaccessible for folks who may be living in a domestic violence situation because they can't zoom in at home. Um, whereas leaving the house, to go to Target or to go to the grocery store or whatever excuse somebody may use with an abusive partner, they, that's like not really an option right now, at least in our community. There really are very few face-to-face -face meetings. And so um, it's hard, it's super hard. And to have folks to answer to um, in a really time-sensitive manner and not being able to hear back from like a resource that I'm trying to connect them with, is extremely challenging and really not much I can do, but still weighs very, very heavily on me, um, even in like the lapse of time from hearing back from their folks. Well, I guess for people who haven't, um, you know, done anything or worked with the Women's Resource Center at all in the past, um, what are some of the common, um, you know, things people come to you the women's resource center for I, i'm thinking kind of like 
what resources or what support, um, you know, is, is it people looking for community or is it a lot of people specifically being like, X happened to me and I'm looking to, you know, like seek help uh, with that, you know, no, whether that's, you know, an incident in the classroom or something more serious, um, you know, like abuse in the home. It can totally be both. And so we do have an internship program connected with the Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program. And then also now with the Sea Change Initiative, which is wonderful. So sometimes people hear about the internship or um, they have friends who are involved. And so it's like a fun thing for them. And then we also have folks who are like, hey, this happened to me. This happened to someone I know. Um, what can I do? And so it really depends. There are a lot of really wonderful resources on campus and in our community, but with things like the loss of Word, which was um, like a women's organization in our community for many years that recently closed, people I don't know necessarily know what the Women's Resource Center is, and so that's okay, and that's like what we're here for, but we just get a lot of like, I don't know, like I don't know what this is, I need help, or I don't know what this is, but I'm interested in this, and normally we can figure something out to support that person, so it's, it's pretty much both, it's, yeah, interesting, I think that we get, like, less walk-ins for people who experience, um, incidents of violence or marginalization, and more we get those messages on social media, but, um, or, like, via email, but I think that a huge part of that is, again, the, even pre-coronavirus risk of safety um, and retaliation worries. So that's sort of, I think, the logistics of that. Mm -hmm. So do you see the importance of, um, you know, UM having a Women's Resource Center? Because you, you mentioned earlier um, that it's kind of unique. Um, and so what do you think it means to have that kind of, um, it's kind of like student to student support because I mean, you're a student, um, you know, running a resource center um, that's aimed towards other students. It's not like um, Main Hall is is running the Women's Resource Center trying to reach students. It's students, student to student. I think it's really hard because our autonomy is wonderful and we have been able to engage in a lot of like pseudo political actions and partnerships in ways that we wouldn't if we were um, an office through the Office of Student Success. Um, like being ASUM recognized allows us that. Um, at Montana State University, their Women's Resource Center, just for some background, is funded and like hosted through their Office of Student Success. And they have an office that's open almost 40 hours a week. And they have a professional director who is out of college and they have multiple like paid interns and so it's challenging to look at like the capacity of other women's resource center but it's also important to recognize like with the current situation that we have we have a lot of autonomy and there are benefits in that um, and I think that right being a student I can understand the experiences of under of other students extremely well um, and I think there's a strength in that um, though it would be wonderful to ha either have more paid positions or paid internships, and that is something that's potentially happening through the SIA Change Initiative, um, which is like wonderful, and that's I think a great step forward. Um, but even like a, 
a mentorship program for the student director with somebody from the president's cabinet, likely somebody in OSS, would be extremely beneficial because, again, I can say I understand your experience as a fellow student all day, but there is strength in having someone who has a background in education um, and higher education uh, in terms of like that is what they have studied. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the need that you've seen, you know, throughout your years at UM and your time um, with the resource center, do you have or have you thought about um, kind of like what your your dream for the resource center would be? And I'm thinking, um, you know, if if like budgets and, and the structure wasn't um, wasn't a limitation kind of down the the line of you saying that you um you know you wish that maybe like the director had a mentor or somebody who could like help them you know provide a little bit more leverage when getting resources um for people and supports i thought about this a lot um and a model that i really love is our college radio station i think that there are some differences because of like constitutional stuff with higher education in Montana that colleges have to have a certain fee set aside for like publications like our college radio um, and I it would take an extreme amount of work and something that I've been talking to some other folks on campus for for now over a year at this point is pushing for a fee establishment for the Women's Resource Center um, because if we were to become something like an agency um, that would allow us much more financial stability and freedom to do things like having more than one paid position um, at 12 and a half hours a week and would allow us some more reach than with what we can do and it's a bummer that our college radio rate gets a significant amount of money which as they should um, that like groups like our college radio still need to fundraise and I think that speaks to like there is just all around a lot more support funding support needed for student initiatives and it's just not really there for anybody um, and so it's wonderful to dream about that and I do it often but I also understand it is not super realistic and I think that UM pseudo investment in women's experience on campus through things like the CH change initiative are awesome um, but I think a fee establishment and agency recognition would be like critical for the future of the Women's Resource Center just to sustain it through periods of uncertainty because I'm sure as our college radio understands when um, enrollment is down your fees are significant like your fee intake is significantly less and so you are sort of at will of like how is the university doing with like, recruiting and enrollment and so that's something we experience in a similar but slighter form through ASUM. Um, but yeah, sorry, that's like a really crazy answer, but that's my answer. Yeah, no, no worries. You're all good. Um, you've mentioned the, I'm not sure if I've, I'm saying this right because I don't think I've actually heard of it before, but you mentioned the SIA change initiative. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. And then um, could you just explain a little bit about what that is and like what body is is in charge of that? The CH Change Initiative 
was created through a major donation to UM to address three main issues facing women at UM. So SEA, let's see a change, comes from addressing the safety, education, and acceleration of college women at UM. I'm going to fact check myself for the E. I'm so sorry. I was already safe, empowered, accelerated. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, perfect. Sorry. I just, um, I just Googled it. Don't worry. Um, I think I've seen stuff about this, but I would have always called it sea change. I don't, I've heard it both ways. Whatever. I didn't name it. They can say it however they want. Well, essentially, right, the Sea of Change addresses, addresses the safety, empowerment, and acceleration of college women on campus. And more than anything, it's sort of serving as like a uniting body for like the really cool things UM and students have been doing to address inequality on campus. So things like the production of a Sea of Change class um, to teach students about gender equity has just recently come to fruition with the new hiring of a the CEO Change Initiative Director. Um, her name is Twyla. She is the most badass person on this campus and she came from a background of running Trio Upward Bound um, for many years on this campus. And the CEO Change Initiative through this course will essentially partner with local high schools um, to create like a mentorship program. So the women in this class presently will run a summer camp um, type deal over the summer to empower young women and then they also have the opportunity to become paid interns or mentors um, in different sectors and so we will actually I believe be receiving an intern through the Sea of Change initiative at the Women's Resource Center that we're like a placement site so somebody can say I want to work at the Women's Resource Center and we're so so lucky to have that but it also serves of like a spotlight of what is already happening on campus. Like, we're not gonna reinvent the wheel. We have a Women's Resource Center. Like, we're not gonna reinvent the wheel. We have a public policy program called the Montana New Leadership Program. So it sort of works to become like a guiding light to gender equity on campus um, and continue to bolster um, what's already going on. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, the CH Change Initiative is really awesome and Twilight comes from an insane fundraising grant writing background. So I am extremely hopeful that this program will endure for many, many years. Um, and I love, I was involved, like I got to speak with the four finalists for the position and I loved that Twyla brought up her being a mother of not only a daughter, but a son and the importance of involving men on our campus in this work. And so I am just so stoked about this initiative. Mm -hmm. You know when it started? Um, it started, well, it was sort of like the brainchild of Kelly Webster, President Bodner's Chief of Staff, who is another extremely badass gets it done woman on this campus. Um, and Twyla was just hired at the start of the school year. Um, and so this is like the first year that we, I think, can kind of see what's happening on the ground to see a change. Um, but it's been sort of in the works, I think, for a while. That's super cool. And it's, it's nice that they're kind of are going from a bottom up approach. Because um, I feel like oftentimes um, things like that come in and, um, and they don't recognize that there's already people there on the ground who have been doing the work. Um, 
and sometimes they just need a little boost to um, maybe uh, coordinate or, you know, learn more about where and who are lacking resources um, and help connect people. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really cool. Um, I was hoping, Maggie, is it okay if we talk about you a little bit? Sure, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> if you, if there's, I mean, I'm not going to ask like any sensitive questions, but if I ask something that you don't want to answer, you can just say so. Oh, no, you're totally good. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so what was your like first experience with the Women's Resource Center and why did you, uh, you know, choose to get involved? Sure. Um, so I came here originally from the heart of New England in Massachusetts and I was here for like two weeks and I was like, I'm mad about something on campus. And so essentially there was like a Halloween concert being planned around the artist XXX Tentacion who had essentially like been involved in extreme domestic violence like extremely graphic domestic violence um incidents and i was really upset that he was interested and effectively going to be performing on our campus um so i just started planning a protest i was like i don't really know many people here so i'm just gonna kind of do it by myself um and see how this works and um it started to gain a little bit of press coverage from some folks off and on campus. And so I was luckily referred to a person named Haley Michelson, who is wonderful, a hero, um, an iconic gets done woman on campus um, who runs Student Involvement Network and oversees the Branch Center. And she was like, hey, let me know what you can do. Let me connect you to some other folks. And she connected me to the Women's Resource Center. Um, eventually, it was like in conversation with like the production company and um, President Storrance at the time. And it, the concert just didn't end up including him on the roster, XXX Tentacion. Um, but I got like my first taste of like, there are people on campus who are interested in supporting this work. And this is how they spend their every day. And it was an extremely challenging but rewarding two weeks and I was like I want to keep doing this kind of work and so I started going to meetings as a freshman um, and I was invited to speak at Light Up the Night which is the domestic violence awareness event to talk about my experience organizing around um, domestic violence and so I just kind of stuck around stayed involved um, did the events did the meetings loved it um, met my dearest friends and mentors at the Women's Resource Center and eventually became a an intern um, and for my internship I looked into the involve like the role of women and non-binary individuals and in protest movements at UM because as I said that is something I fell in love with my first two weeks of college and here I am um, but yeah I was approached the spring of my sophomore year um, about the directorship along with June Eastwood, who we actually are dating <laughs> to have been um, for two years. So at the time we were dating and they approached us both um, in the phase of our new relationship and said, hey, let's take a risk. Let's offer, let's see if you all want to do this, um, which was extremely risky and um, a little bit scary to take over a job, like a co-directorship um, with somebody you just started dating. But um, it really worked out. And Jean is, was the best co-director I could have ever imagined. Um, and so I 
Codarchical June the past year, and then I am still the director this current year. And so I'm a senior, so this will be my last my last go around with the Women's Resource Center, but I feel extremely lucky mm -hmm. to have just been intercepted. Yeah. Has June graduated? June is presently, so June kind of graduated twice. She did two bachelor's degrees, so she did okay. one in women's gender and sexuality studies, one okay. in Bill, and now she's an environmental philosophy MA student. Oh, okay, so she just completed her undergrad then. Yes, but she's back in school. <laughs> she okay. never left. Yeah, I mean, as a fifth year undergrad right now, that's, I'm like, never graduate, let's go. <laughs> Give all my, if I stay in school, I don't have to start repaying my loans. I think about <laughs> it every day. If I never leave. <laughs> like, my deferment never ends. Right. Um, <laughs> um, well, I mean, as an out-of-stater, this is a question that I always um, ask fellow out-of-staters, especially when they come as far um, as New England, um, you know, because we do get quite a few East Coasters out here, but I think we're more familiar with maybe like the Vermont um, <laughs> types and stuff like that. I'm just thinking like people who came from, you know, already pretty outdoorsy kind of kind of parts of the East Coast. So what, um, you know, you, I know that you gr you grew up outside Boston. So what, um, you know, brought you to this not so little university in the middle of Montana? Sure. So I do not have a Boston accent, but I think I have big Boston energy in terms of I, well, there's a lot of different ways I could answer this question, but um, in a lot of ways, I, I loved growing up in New England. It was extremely formative and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there's a severe level of like elitism and a lack of college affordability and um, there were things I think in my personal life that I wasn't super cognizant of at the time that I might have been like a little bit running aware of and um, it was interesting I think a lot of my peers thought that Montana would be <laughs> like middle of nowhere it was funny the elitism of the east coast is so pervasive yet so many of my peers could not place where Montana was on a map but Don't worry the um, elitism of the midwest also felt similarly about my move um, right I think the More elitism like, of the midwest has ever been mentioned um <laughs> ever a phrase that has ever been said but um right. Montana is one of the few places I think there's there's probably a handful of states where you tell people you're moving there and they're just like huh <laughs> yeah and it's funny well I I grew up um on my high school newspaper and we were like one of the last in Massachusetts to print a weekly paper and I t held different editorial roles there and I was like Okay, so my best friend goes to college here from home and um, she was interested in the journalism school and I was interested in the journalism school and I was like, that's a good excuse to get out of Dodge. <laughs> and so, and so um, Lydia, my all-time best friend who still lives here, um, didn't end up a journalism person per se. Um, and I certainly did not end up a journalism person though I did take one journalism class and it was awesome. Um, I, I thought you were going to say awful when you said no, no, no. <laughs> no. The J school is great, but um, not for me. Um, I could not be unbiased um, for that long. We're relatively unbiased. I know that there like our sectors that allow you to be um, yeah, more biased, on the opinion page. Right. Yeah, I'm like that's the only place you would ever find me. 
but um yeah so I kind of came out here inspired by a friend was like this seems good enough um and it has been it it was really shocking to move out here it is so different um but I think that yeah Missoula is so wonderful and it made the transition to like Montana much easier because Missoula is so uniquely Missoula um in a way that I don't think it would have been if I went to like any other college in Montana um but yeah, I was inspired by like my best friend and I love her. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> um, well, that's, you know, pretty much all the questions that I had for you. Um, but before we sign off, I was just wondering if there was anything else um, you'd kind of like to mention anything about the WRC or, um, you know, more broadly. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to like shout it into the air of like how grateful our organization is to like the so many powerful individuals who have been involved in the WRC for the past 50 years. It's so sad. We were planning like a 50th birthday party and all of this stuff and coronavirus is just like, no, because people can't travel and we can't have like these large events. And so there are so many women like Diane Sands and so many others who work at really badass organizations or have changed the landscape of this state um, for the better for women, LGBTQ people, and other marginalized groups. Um, and I just want to say thank you to them. Um, and I would not be here without them. It's so cool to like go to the state legislature and like have a friendly face um, and to be like cheered on. And it has been so formative as a young woman. Um, and I just like yeah, I have so much gratitude for them. We got a message the, the other day for, on our page that was somebody who was like, hey, I worked here in the 90s, so glad you're still kicking it. And it like definitely makes me take the stewardship of this beautiful thing so much more seriously when we get comments like that. If people were interested in learning about your upcoming events um, or, you know, just to reach out for um, some support and stuff, um, where online can they find you? And you did mention your office in the Branch Center. Um, but yeah, where they, can they find you online? For sure. I know. And it seems like with COVID, that'll be the way for much, much longer. And like that is the better way, maybe, um, because we do have like a capacity in our office even now. So um, our Facebook is UM Women's Resource Center. Um, and if you should have some message there, we'll respond. And then if somebody is like, more concerned about maybe privacy and would prefer to email. My email is Maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E, period, Bornstein, B as in boy, O-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, at umontana.edu. And then that's a wonderful way also to connect. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we'll put um, links and stuff um, in our episode notes and if you're listening to this on air um you can go to our website um kbga.org um and click on the clam bake podcast and you will find all the information there um so thanks maggie thanks so much thanks for having me shout out kbga we love you great great neighbors yes thanks for tuning in New episodes will be dropping every week. You can listen to us on air at KBGA 89.9 Missoula or online at kbga.org. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This episode was edited and produced by me, your host, Madeline Broom. 
Thanks to Jazar for the music in the clam bake. All music was sourced from the Free Music Archive. <laughs>